So our passage today will be uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. I'll give you some time to turn there. Um, yeah, it is a wonderful thing to be able to worship with God's people and uh, see all of you. It's uh, a blessing. I, I enjoy this. It's, uh, the, the preparation is the difficult part of it, but being able to be uh, touched by God and his word, uh, ministered to during the week, uh, even up until this morning as I'm putting the final touches on it, is, is, um, is kind of like the stressful part of things, but being able to take what God has shown me through this time and being able to present it to you is, um, is a blessing. It is a, uh, it's a gift that God has given um, a calling that he has placed on, on my life, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Um, but yeah, this has been a, it's been a week. It's been a week. Um, I wanted to kind of start off before we read our passage and, and ask a question. <clears throat> um, have you ever felt like you've learned something again for the first time? What does that even mean, right? You're probably thinking, Laramie, this new baby must have you sleep deprived and got you thinking crazily, right? But because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to ask the question that way, to learn something again for the first time. But I don't know, maybe it's just me, but a lot of times I feel like maybe it's the older I get. But I feel like as I'm studying the scriptures and, and uh, God is, you know, revealing his truth, illuminating his truth through his word to me, it feels like I'm learning this stuff for the first time again. And uh that's something that I've seen in this passage, and when I tell you, you know, what's, what I've been learning, you're going to kind of be like, yeah, of course, like, of course. But um, one thing that, that really stood out to me in the, over the course of this week as I was uh, studying through this passage is the fact that over the course of human history, nothing much has really changed. Things are the same, right? Uh, te uh, scripture teaches us that nothing is new under the sun. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And I think our passage today is, is a great example of that. Um, but yeah, so what's, what's going on in our passage and what makes me believe that is, is the case? Well, uh, and, and you know, I'm sorry, before I get into this, uh, I want to encourage y'all to come to Sunday school. Um, it seemed like lately, not just when I'm preaching, but pastors preaching, a lot of the Sunday school lessons are really tying in well uh, with the, they complement well our, our worship service. So if you're able to make it, I would highly suggest y'all y'all make it. Um, if you can't, watch it. Uh, a lot of these lessons, they just correspond. I mean, obviously God is a God of unity and truth, and the truth doesn't change, but it's just really cool seeing how uh, hearing stories of God's goodness through people's lives and, and the lessons, the way God's ministering to his people, and, and how this just, um, it's the same God ministering to, this, to all his people in similar fashions, and it kind of plays out in different flavors, but the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I would just encourage you for that. But as far as our passage today, what's going on and what makes me believe that, nothing's, that not much has changed? Well, to kind of pull back to where we found ourselves last week in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, or sorry, 1 Samuel 10, uh, Saul has been anointed king. And at this point, it doesn't mean much more than a title that he's been given, a job description, and then a group of men to kind of, uh, he can take into battle. He, hasn't, he doesn't have this uh, huge uh, palace that he has his throne room and all these servants. 
it's, it's more so a, a title that he has, and we'll kind of see some of that in our passage today. But um, when we think about the people of God and what God has done for his people, bringing them out of uh, the land of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, uh, routing and, and eradicating all these other people groups and allowing them to flourish within this, this area, I think what, what happens for us is we something that the, that the Israelites lost sight of is the fact that in this covenant that God made with his people, he told them, follow my commands and you'll prosper in the land. Uh, you, you will prosper here. And not only that, in Deuteronomy 31 and in Joshua 1, he tells Moses and then Joshua the same thing, that he is their God, they are his people, and he will never leave them, he will never forsake them. Right? He is their God, they are his people. And because of that, we see that they will, God has promised that they will prosper in their land and he will protect them. So th this is good news for the people that spent 400 years in captivity and slavery and harsh treatment, being able to cross through the Red Sea, and cross through the Jordan, and go through, these, uh, through the wilderness for 40 years, uh, and, and then finally find their, their place within this promised land and flourishing there. These are, this is a wonderful thing. This is gospel for them, right? This, this provision that God has given them. But like, like where we find ourselves today and where we find ourselves throughout uh, the history of, of Scripture, what we see in human history, is it doesn't take long for us as people to lose sight of God and his word and begin to fear, worry, fret, become anxious, and forget what God has done for them only to trust in what you see around you. And instead of, instead of or by trusting in what you see, um, what they've lost sight of is the one who brought about these circumstances to them in order to show them his care and concern for his people. Now, I want to say that again because I feel like I kind of butchered the way I had it written, but listen to this. It says this, it doesn't take long for us to lose sight of God and his word and begin to fear, worry, fret, or become anxious and only trust in what we can see rather than seeing God as the one who brought about the circumstances in order to show us his care and concern and commitment for us as his people. I think that deserves an amen, right? That, that's, that's what we do, that's us. I, I know that's not me because I know a lot of you personally and I know things that you've been through. Uh, this, is, this is par for the course, right? We see this in the Israelites, we see that for us today. Uh, but what I hope for us to kind of gather from this time is just how easily the word of God slips from our minds, right? The promises that God has made to us through his word and in spite of that, how faithful God remains to us as his people. In spite of our unbelief, in spite of our disobedience, in spite of our wayward ways. So we're going to do so by focusing on three points. As we read through our passages, 15 verses, covers a lot of ground. Uh, we're going to focus on three things to kind of help us wrap our minds around this topic. Uh, so those three points are this. I like alliterations, right, using the same letter to kind of describe things. Right. If you leave here and this, the word ministered to you, uh, this will kind of help you wrap your mind around that. Because a lot of times you leave church like, man, that was a really awesome message that I heard today. What was it about? Uh, I, uh, you know, so it's helpful to have those things. OK, well, what, what are those for us today? Well, these are the three. The reasoning, the response and the need for repentance. The reasoning, the response and the need for repentance. And that's what we're going to see in, in our passage today. There's tons of stuff going on in here, and uh, you could write books on it, but for the sake of time, right, we are going to focus on these three things to kind of 
help us understand what's going on here. So we're going to read our passage in full, and then we're going to focus back on the first four verses and kind of walk through um, our passage today. So this is the word of the Lord. If you've turned there in 1 Samuel 11, we're going to read the whole chapter. And like I said, we're going to focus back on the first four verses. It says this, Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. Excuse me. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite and that we may send messengers through all, through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. The messengers came to Gibeah of Saul. They reported the matters in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took the yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messenger who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put, to, put the people into three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp, and in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, <clears throat> excuse me, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall, uh, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray before we get into it. Dear Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for allowing us to labor six days and to find one day to rest in you, to, to think and meditate upon your goodness to us as your people, to gather, uh, to sing of your praises, to read of your word, and to have your good news proclaimed uh, to us as your people. It is a wonderful thing to be found in the hand of God where no one could snatch us out. For you are a good shepherd. You lead us, you guide us, and in spite of all the trials, the pain, the, the suffering, the, the consequences that we bring upon ourselves due to our waywardness, uh, you remain faithful. And we just, we just thank you so much for that, Lord. We just pray and ask in this time that um, your word rings true that uh, I'm able to uh, get out of the way and, and, and you are able to speak to your people as you see fit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give you thanks. Amen. All right, so the first four verses where we're gonna, uh, where we find ourselves, we're going to see what's going on and, and why the reasoning, why, did, why was it entitled that? Well, 
to kind of paint this picture for us, Nahash, the, the man that's first mentioned here, is the king of the Ammonites. Uh, he was seeking to conquer them, right? He was, he was battling them. They were in bordering lands. Uh, the Ammonites, just for, for a, a fun fact for you, I guess, uh, they were kind of like distant cousins to the Israelite people. Uh, they were descendants of Lot, right? So after Lot leaves Sodom with his two daughters, uh, they find themselves in a, in a cave, and they're under the assumption since God rained down sulfur and hail and, and like fire uh, from heaven and, and destroyed that land that they just left, they were kind of under the impression that they were the only people left on earth. So in order to kind of keep the, the, the lineage going, they end up getting their father drunk, they lie with him, and they both get pregnant. Crazy story, yes, I know, but that, that's what happened, right? So the result of this, uh, the first daughter had her son Moab, which we get the Moabites, Ruth, and, and all her people. And then the second son from the second uh, daughter is uh, Ben-Ami is the name, and uh, that's where the people, the uh, Ammonites, come from. You can read about this in uh, Genesis 19. But that's, that's these people, right? They're not descendants of Abraham, but they're kind of like they're kinfolk in a sense. Um, but one thing that we see from them, if you're reading in Joshua and Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, they're basically natural-born enemies of the Israelites, similar to the Philistines and the Jebusites and all these different people. They just they were just at war with them, and so Nahash, being a, an enemy of God, an enemy of his people, sought to conquer the Israelites. They besieged their town and they overran the forces that were there. Right, more than likely, these were all farming type of people. And so they weren't able to defend themselves well. So as the saying goes, right, if you can't beat them, join them, right? That, that's, that's what happened with these people in this time. That, that was their idea. Well, we can't beat them, so we're going to join them. But, and, and as we think about that, yeah, that's kind of the way that we think often, right? When, I don't know if you're like me, I like watching MMA stuff. They, they tap out when they get beat or if they get knocked out, the ref pulls them off. And there's this, this surrender at some point in that, in that match, uh, that's, that's typically the way that we are. There's a point where we feel like we can't go on and, and we, we throw up our hands. So reason, rationality, logic tells us, okay, well, if we are in this village or this town and these people are trying to conquer us, if I'm trying to save us and not allow my people to die, my family, I'm gonna, I want to throw up the, the white flag and, and, and just do what I can in order to save them. Right? In my own eyes, from what I can see, this is what I want to do in order to save my people. It is a, a logical thing to think. It's rational. It's, it's reasonable, right? So the men of Jabesh Gilead sought to do just that. They wanted to make a treaty uh, while they still had time. Now, when I thought about that, right, when we talked about what's going on in this passage, what they can see with their own eyes, what God had promised them before they got to this promised land, you know, you see this, this disconnection from what God had spoken and, and their actions. And that made me think about myself today, or our people today. How, how do we normally respond, um, or may, let me word it this way, how often do we respond to situations and circumstances, suffering, pain, things that seem insurmountable in our own lives by surrendering to them, giving up uh, on trying to fight and, and, and maintain what God has, has told us in our lives. If you think about it, it's just, it's just way easier to throw in the towel, right? There's so many times in life where doing the right thing is just too hard. And it's like, you know what? I, I, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I have a headache. I, I just don't feel like dealing with this right now. 
I, I give up, right? I, I just give up. It's not worth, it's not worth the time. You know, if, like I said, if I personalize this thing about with the kids, right, there's times where I'm like, okay, I've had it up to here. Y'all just go play the game. Y'all go outside. Y'all just watch TV. I'll let those things deal with you. I, I don't feel like dealing with you right now. I, I want these things to, to take over parenting for a time. Or in your marriage, right, if you're married as a husband, happy wife, happy life, right? That, that's a, a common phrase that gets thrown around. You know what, just whatever makes her happy, I, you know, I, I, don't feel like, I don't feel like having this fire. I understand that costs a lot of money, but you know what, a happy wife, happy life. Or, or whatever, whatever it is, right? Happy wife, happy life. I just, it's just not worth it for me to fight this. I'm, I surrender. Let's make a treaty. You go and do that, and, and I stay here. Or for, for wives, um, something that plagues men within a church is pornography, right? Having a wandering eye. How often have wives been like, you know what, that, that's just men, it's not worth the fight, you know, I'll let them look at the menu as long as he doesn't order from it, right? It's, it's just not worth the fight. I, we go back and forth about this every day, I catch him on his phone, I catch him on the computer, whatever the case may be, it's just not worth the fight. We, we give up, right? This is what seems right in our own eyes, right? I, I just, it's not worth it to me. I, I'd, I'd rather focus on other things. If he's never going to change, if she's never going to change, if these kids are never going to change, this is what seems right to me. But what does the word of God say? Proverbs 16, 25 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Now, I think Pastor would agree with me with, with this, uh, and anyone within our church who's offered counsel uh, would, would kind of agree to this position, but oftentimes during counseling sessions, right, if you're talking with a couple, if you're talking with someone who's been offended and there's some issue, some strife between two people, whether it's a couple or not, um, tensions are high, this person saying this, this person saying that, and they're just, they're just fighting, they're at odds, right? You're just in strife. Me and my wife, we've been there, right? That's, that's common, right, to, to not find common ground because you believe this, they believe that. And so we get caught up so often in he said or she said, we forget what God said, right? Well, I, I believe this, I, what has God said? That, that, that's what's most important, that ground doesn't sink. It's not shifting sand, right? I may feel this way today and this way tomorrow. What has God said? Let God be true and every man a liar. And the reason, one of the many reasons we can say that is because we can reason away anything, right? We can make anything okay for us to do, right? You see this in today's culture. There's pastors that are okay with homosexuality, with uh, transgenderism, with abortion, with, with whatever topic that you, you can throw, you can find a way to manipulate scripture in order to feel okay with the sin. We see it every single day. It just takes a little reason, it takes a little compromise, it takes a little surrendering the things that God has said. Now that's what we see here today with Jabesh Gilead in this town. Right, what was their response to the fight that was brought to them in spite of what God had told them? Hey, let's make a treaty and we will serve you. Right, I, we don't feel like fighting anymore. Let's make a treaty and, and we will serve you. 
So essentially what they're saying is they're telling Nahash, king of the Ammonites, a God-hating people, if you will have mercy on us, we will serve you all the days of our life. If you have mercy on us, we will serve you all the days of our life. Even if that means plucking out our right eye. Now, the plucking out the right eye, it's, it, he talks about it here, right, that it, it's, it brings disgrace to this people. But it, it goes deeper than that. It makes them an impotent people. The thing is, for military forces, the way that they would wage war and they'd have their defenses set up, left hand's your shield, right hand's your sword, and they would hold it this way, right? Your right, your right eye is what's exposed, in a sense. Uh, archery, right, takes away your depth perception. What good would these people be, these men be, without their right eye, right? They couldn't, they'd have to relearn how to fight left-handed, I guess. But the idea is they'd be worthless. They, 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 would, they would never be able to uprise against them, right? All their power was taken away. Not only that, there's a visible reminder of their surrender to this pagan people. So what would they be good for? To be slaves, farmhands, right? Servants, go do this, go do that. You serve, you really don't serve much of a purpose at that point. You can't fight for what God has given you. So, yeah, you bring a disgrace to all of Israel. When they see you, they see surrender. They see giving up, not trusting in what God had given them. But, by God's grace, this respite that they requested perfectly illustrates what we see in God's word. That love, God's love, covers a multitude of sins. Praise God, right? How many times have you coveted something, just really, really wanted something, asked God for, you prayed about it, you fasted, whatever you may, whatever, whatever you did in order to try to get God to move in this area to do something for you, only for it to be denied, right? It being withheld from you. You didn't get what you were asking for. You get angry, you get bitter, you get frustrated, you take it out on your family or whatever, whatever happens. But then that thing that you wanted, you see the destruction it caused in either someone else's life or where that would have led you. Right, then you're, like, then you're thanking God for not giving you what you wanted, right? Pastor mentioned this last week. He would thank God for not getting everything that he ever asked for. But how often does that happen to us in our lives? Maybe it was a job, maybe it was some kind of business opportunity, right? Like, oh man, this is too good to be true. All I need to do is invest $15,000 that I don't have, right? Or whatever the case may be, a relationship, um, a new vehicle, whatever. Whatever it is, you, you idolize that thing. Uh, God withholds it from you, but little did you know God was saving you from yourself. Thank you, Lord. That, this is exactly what we see with the people of Jabesh Gilead. God saved them from their flawed, sinful reasoning. He saved them from themselves. Amen. So ask yourself, how often do you reason away things that God has called you to do because you want to serve someone else or something else other than what God has called you to? I think that's important for us to see today because the, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And we see that all the time here at our church, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, thankfully, they were granted the seven days to, to throw this uh, 
figurative Hail Mary, right? We're still in football season, so that still applies. But they threw this Hail Mary in order to see if anybody would, would respond in their time of need. Now, we're going to read in verses 5 through 11 uh, who responded in this time, right? We talked about the reasoning. Now we're going to see the response. So let me reread these verses just to kind of help refresh our minds of what's going on in the passage. So it says this, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel uh, were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give up ourselves to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, uh, in the morning watch, excuse me, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. So what was the response here? What, what's the response that we see? Well, the Spirit of God, right, we're, we're not focusing on Saul, but the Spirit of God rushes upon Saul, and then he is able to supernaturally uh, and tactically, strategically route the Ammonites and protect God's people as God promised that he would do. Now, in this event, we can see King Saul as a type or a shadow of Christ, right? He is showing us how he delivers us from all evils or every evil and every sin that so easily entangles us, right? There, there is a need. Saul comes with his people and delivers him uh, from this need. But I say he's a, a type or a shadow, a, a foreshadow of what's to come, because what we see is that there were still enemies left, right? They were scattered where two couldn't come together, but enemies still remain to fight another day. Now, when we think about Christ, Christ conquered every sin and every enemy on the cross once and for all. Right? When he said it was finished, he meant it, right? It was finished, period. That means every sin you've committed, the sin you may be committing right now, and those sins that you'll commit over the course of the rest of your life, have been paid for by the precious blood of the Lamb. Now I ask you, is that something you need to learn again for the first time? If you are God's people, he will never leave you nor forsake you. His love for you is a never-ending love. His love for you is an everlasting love. In your faithlessness, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. We are told that his Holy Spirit is a down payment given for our souls. We were sealed for the day of redemption, and God never goes back on his word. But if we find ourselves straying, going somewhere else, 
right? Just like us as parents, when our kids disobey us, right? We don't kick them out of the house. Maybe at some point we do, but when they're little ones, we don't. We bring them back in and they get what we call pow-pows, right? They get spankings, uh, whether it be a chancla, belt, whatever, right? They get a spanking. And God's no different with us. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says this. My son, do not regard lightly the, dis- the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he reproved, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, if you've forgotten the steadfast love of the Lord, if you have lost sight of God and his word and have gone wayward for a season, you best believe discipline is coming. You best believe it. Not better believe it. It goes beyond that. You best believe it's coming. Why? Because he has promised he will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen to the way David describes it in Psalm 32. He says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did God do? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. So what is the response we see here during the Israelites' time of need or during our time of need? Faithfulness. We see faithfulness. Amen? This response leads us to our last point, right? We see the reasoning that they've done in themselves, the response of God in spite of, of their reasoning, and now we will look at our final point, the need for repentance. Let me reread verses 12 through 15. It says this, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Who is it that said, Shall Saul, shall Saul reign over us? That's a tongue twister. Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Imminent danger was right there. All they could see was a conquering people. But this was thwarted by God through Saul and his men, right? Saul being this man that just in the chapter before was, was being mocked and, and questioned as if he was worthy to be their king. Now, Saul's people knew that this was going on because as the scriptures tell us at the end of chapter 10, these were worthless men. They were unbelievers. They were, they were evil men that were saying these things. So no telling the depths of the disrespect or the things that they were saying about their king at this time. So Saul's people seeking to maintain law and order within Israel, right? After, after just slicing and dicing through the Ammonites, 
They're like, okay, we're not done yet. Samuel, where are these people who were saying these things about our king? Because they're next, right? We already took care of all these people outside the house. Now we got a clean house. We're going we're gonna to take out some of our own people for, for trying to speak against our king. Now, as we look at these verses here, there's, there's tons going on as well. Lots of application that we can make. But in light of what we've pulled out so far and where we've, where we've uh, come so far, I want to focus on verse 13. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Right? These men had this bloodlust and sought to complete the killing of their own people. Right? They're like, we're, we're not done yet. Right? We've gone through, through lunchtime, through midday, and we've slaughtered all these people and scattered them. We're not done yet. We got more to kill. But what was it? It wasn't Saul. It wasn't Samuel. It wasn't, it wasn't convincing words. It wasn't um, lofty speech. It wasn't anything that convinced these men not to pursue them. It was the power of the gospel that quenched that fire. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. That's what stopped them. Right. Not not misdirection. Not, no, no, we'll get them another day. Not coming up with anything to try to to convince them intellectually why they shouldn't do that. No, for today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. So I've already asked a couple of questions, but I kind of want to ask a few more. I got two questions specifically uh, for us. Now, if we think about that, what stopped these men dead in their tracks, tracks and led them to sacrifice peace offerings before the Lord and rejoice greatly? Right. They went from this self-righteous anger to righteous joy and, and rejoicing and sacrificing peace offerings. What, what brought about this change? The Lord of their salvation. Right. The God that saved them. They wouldn't have been able to have that victory apart from the Lord. Right. They just in recent past, we see what happened with Eli and um, Eli's sons. Right. They try to bring the ark and, and, and battle that way. That didn't work. Uh, there, there were all these different issues that have occurred just in the first 11 chapters of first of Samuel. Uh, but what 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 saved them? The Lord. Right. The Lord of their salvation. And like I said, things haven't changed much. We try to take things in our own hands and, and deal with them in our own ways. Uh, thinking we have the answers, uh, but what, what happens when, when we have troubles, when we have trials, when we have pain, when we have suffering, uh, what will stop us dead in our tracks in order that we find our hope, uh, or where, in order for us to find hope and deliverance through all of that? The Lord of your salvation. That's what will stop you in your tracks. That's what calms the seas. That's what brings healing to your soul. The Lord of your salvation. It is so easy to lose sight of God and his word, and not only lose sight of God and his word, but to lose a desire to even spend time in his word and serving his people. It's, it, it goes like that, right? When anything could be a distraction, and then we just go our own way. I kind of thought about this in my own life and where we've been since we've had our child, our fourth child, um, you know, it's been a month. She, she'll be a month tomorrow. And the first first two weeks were pretty chaotic week and a half, I should say, uh, just trying to get adjusted to having life with four children. Um, you know, the other three, they need just as much attention that they needed before. But now we got this other one thrown in the mix. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to deal with. I like the way that uh, this comedian Jim Gaffigan talks about having a bunch of kids. He's like, imagine drowning, right, and then someone handing you a kid, right? Like, that, that's, the, that's what it's like having all these kids in the house. They're wonderful, a blessing from the Lord, uh, but it gets chaotic, right? And that first week back, you know, you're, you're so focused on attending to this little baby, attending to your wife, making sure the kids are in order, things are being cleaned up because messes are inevitable and, and you know, your, your attention is in all these different places. And as Brother Dave, Pastor David mentioned during uh, Sunday school, like it's, it's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life and you forget what, what nourishes your soul, right? You forget that you need time in the word. You need time with God. You need that devotion to, to be poured out again, right? You gotta fill up so that you can be poured out again and, and I'll be honest, for, for that first week and a half, it was, it, was, it was for me, but as I look back, I don't know how, uh, you can ask my wife how she felt I was with, with the family, but I feel like I neglected the spiritual side of things. It was so much focused on what I can see, a lost side of, of the, the, the spiritualness, the, the nourishment that was needed within my own soul, and it played out in emotional outbursts, right? Being bitter, being frustrated, uh, not doing the things that, that I needed to do, and it's, it's spotlighted uh, laziness within my, within my own heart. And so going through that and, and God revealing that to me was, um, was, not, was not cool, right? It, it didn't feel good going through that, right? Discipline doesn't feel good but for a season, but in its time, it, you reap a harvest from it. And uh, so after that, first day of the month, I was like, you know what? This, this has got to change. I need to be in God's word. I'm going to spend some time in the Proverbs, right? I need wisdom right now, and it's found through God. And so this month, the last 19 days, I've been spending time in the Proverbs, right? Just reading one a day and kind of doing that. It's been so helpful for me. Just going from what do I say, what, is, what does she say, what should we do out here to what does God say has really helped focus. Now, still a man, I still do stupid stuff, right? But the fact that God has been so faithful through all of that, um, he, he, he doesn't allow us to fall off the edge, right? He brings us in before we hit that point. And, and it is a beautiful thing to be found in God's hands and, and to be uh, loved in the way that he loves us because we'll fail each other. We'll let each other down. We, will, we can destroy the things that, that, we bring, that we bring about if it's not... God-led, right? If God's word is not the driving force uh, behind it. And so I say that just to kind of put my cards on the table. Um, But if this is you, if you find yourself in a similar place where you're in need of repentance, right? You've seen the reasoning you've done in your own lives. Uh, You've seen God respond faithfully time and time again. And right now you find yourself in that season where you're like the men that are with Saul, where you're still trying to pay back people for things they've done to you, or, or whatever the case may be. You have this bitterness. You've got whatever sin is still holding you back from walking uh, that, that, that straight and narrow, if you will, the, just a life abundantly within uh, what God has called you to. The Lord has, has provided salvation today. Right? He has provided that for us today. He is the Lord of salvation. But we must confess these sins, as David did, uh, we must confess these sins, and God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we can walk in that freedom that's found in Christ and in Christ alone. 
That, that's what we need to do. That's what we're responsible for, confessing these sins, repenting, uh, because God's kindness is what's meant to lead us to repentance. So as our music team comes forward, I, I want us to spend some time uh, in response to God's word, right? Seeing what he has done for us, how things really haven't changed, right? We, we see this over and over again in the lives of the people. We see it with the Israelites. We see it with us today. So let's spend some time as this next song plays in reflection. Uh, if repentance, if that's needed, spend some time in prayer in your seat. Find someone that you feel comfortable praying with. If you want them to pray with you, do that. Um, if needed, you can come forward and we, we will pray with you as well. But uh, let's, not, let's not forget that. Let's not waste another day. Right? There's no reason to allow these things to drag on. If God has saved you, forgiveness is there. Freedom is there. The fullness of joy is there. So let us pray.